You're listening to Red Nation Online. Let's get to the laboratory to try to cook up some great stuff for you guys. You know what I'm saying? Are you crazy? Are you dumb, brother? And wait, and wait, and baby, I'm TFC till I die. Monday, January 1st, it's a new year. Before we embrace 2018, Eastside Stand Up has our year in review for 2017. It's familiar voices from the year, as we're co-hosted with Paul Marhew of Eastside Stand Up, and familiar voices of Alex Moniz and Aaron Nielsen are both on hand to run through the storybook season for Toronto FC. We look back on December 9th, review the season, compare and contrast to 2016, pick our players of the year, and finish looking ahead to determine what kind of encore is needed to top off the best season in MLS history. It's all that and more on an hour plus of Eastside Stand Up. Another year. Oh, great year. Happier. Yeah. On this year's year in review. It certainly was different from last time, eh? The last year in review. <sighs> Holy shit. And I thought, you know, when I was rapping or kind of like putting together the idea, I even even before the final, I was like, I hope we can do this again. And I hope 180 degree contrast yeah. from 2016 because I feel like it'd be perfect. I'm all about continuity. Right. And and storylines and things like that. And I'm like, this would be perfect if we get back together this yeah. year and do this one again, but with, uh, you know, a completely positive podcast and not cynical and foul. And Well, you know, I don't even think that the last one was cynical. I think that we were disappointed. And, uh, you know, I, we did it a few weeks after the final, I think like three weeks. So I think we had taken some time to kind of like uh, settle our thoughts and get a little measured with it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and you know, the same one this way. Uh, this year, we're taking a few weeks, but yeah, I agree with you totally. I'm so glad we're here to, to wash, cleanse our palates of what happened last oh, year. Oh yeah, I still, and it's funny because we 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 had as we do with every episode of the podcast. There's always some sort of like pre-podcast discussion. It's the kind of thing where you're like, oh man, stop saying this. Like this is gold. This is mm-hmm. podcast gold we're talking about. So this is this is the way. This is what I was thinking, Paul. And if I haven't laid this out in the pre-podcast episode. For the listener to kind of figure out clearly, there's going to be a couple of voices on this podcast, but you and I, Paul, are leading the way. And then I'll try to like stitch in some other comments because I think the idea is it's a year in review and it's going to be sort of like voices from ESSU through the year, which would be you, know, you came on like once or twice and like Aaron was on a lot. And obviously Steve is my co-host uh, and Alex Moniz was on there a bunch of times. So I kind of wanted to get everyone's you know, everyone's opinions and everyone's thoughts on the way the season went, especially considering it was this incredible year, this epic season that finished the way that I did. And I think, you know, what I really was hoping this, this episode would be as we finished 2017 would be an episode that supporters could listen back to and connect with. And it'd be a podcast episode for posterity that, you know, whenever you want to go back and remember that year, this episode hopefully covers a lot of ground and specifically to start it off, I thought it would make sense because I think I think all of us have gone over that day again. Yeah. In our heads, December 9th, 2017, and thought about 
you know, how that game played out, remembering how Josie scored that goal, how you celebrated that goal, mm. um, what we thought, how we celebrated after, all those kind of things. And I, I don't know if, because uh, I mentioned this to you before, was like when Steve and I did the podcast, you know, there's pros and cons of doing it immediately after a game. And sometimes you get so caught up in the emotion yeah. that yeah. certain things might get left yeah. out. Or we were so in a certain emotion that you couldn't have had a more measured discussion. And I think for like for Steve and I, I think, you know, some feedback that I heard was like, you guys were really like relaxed <laughs> and casual. Because you're stunned. It, it was, but I, no, it was more like just an, an overwhelming sense of relief, I think, was what it was. I was just like really happy, but just like, it just like just felt like a weight, you know what I mean? Yeah. came off you and it was the game was draining. Like the whole season was almost kind of draining to get to that finish. It wasn't like, I think if we had been a team that wasn't expected to win and we'd gone and pulled this like David and Goliath story, I think we would have been like, oh my God. But to finish the season the way we did, I think that's why it was just kind of like, man, I'm just so happy that it we did it. Well, there was a lot of pressure on the team from the beginning. I mean, at the beginning of the season, we started out really well. Um, during the summer, we played really well, winning the Supporter Shield. And then, um, you know, going to the playoffs with these expectations, having gotten to the finals last year and losing, it was almost too much stress to kind of deal with, you know, before the final. Yeah. So let's talk about that. This, yeah. Let's talk about this day, Paul. And I'm, I'm interested, you know, in everyone's thoughts because everyone obviously would have had a bit of a different experience and you're in the South End. So I'm, yeah. I'm definitely interested in how that all factored in and sort of your experience there. What were you, how were you, what were you thinking before the game too, like going into that day? Yeah. Um, well, I, you know, that day started kind of weird because I was nervous. I was confident that we could do well, but you never know what's going to happen, right? Like last year I was confident that we could do well, but then Seattle played the way they did and it went to penalties and you lose, right? So you know that anything can happen. So I was nervous. I was anxious. I was meeting friends beforehand. Uh, so I kind of had to kind of get through my day up until that point where I kind of started TFCing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, but I met my buddies and everyone was in good spirits. Um, had a few drinks and uh, went down to the stadium. Saw so many familiar faces in the stands when I got there, which is amazing because these people have, you know, lived through this just like I have. So it was nice to say, you know, okay, here we go again. Let's do it. We can do it. As far as the game goes, TFC started so strong and they had so many opportunities uh, that didn't go in. You kind of got the feeling that this was ours to lose. You know what I mean? Like we were going to win this game uh, if we played like we could play. I mean, when Josie scored that goal, I mean, he scored it in the South End. It was incredible. Uh, and he would have gone your way, right? Because he yeah. went to the Southwest yes. corner and you're on that Southwest half. I'm just a little west of... Uh, the goal uh, in the south end. So it was it was just an incredible moment. You know, the truth is that that when he scored uh, and came around running, I mean, it wasn't like everybody was watching him. Everybody was just so excited. They were hugging and jumping and, you know, you know, just high-fiving each other and stuff like that. I almost didn't see all that action that was happening. The goal happened so Athens. fast. And it happened really fast. It was like this counterattack that happened within, I don't know. It like, was a, like a three or four-pass counterattack yeah. that covered the whole field. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it was, it, was, it, it was almost like a surprise, you know, especially after they had had so many opportunities they couldn't kind of, you know, make beforehand, right? So that was, you know, just amazing. Everybody understands. 
And then, of course, the Vasquez goal. It's funny thing about that is that when Cooper hit the hit the post, right? You know when you're when something like that happens and it doesn't go your way, you kind of like you know your head goes up and you're like, oh. You know, you take your eyes off of yeah, things. Yeah. <laughs> I took my eyes off of things and didn't see Vasquez put the goal <laughs> in, right? So I didn't actually see that part. But, you know, luckily, I'm right there when he lifted up his shirt, which is another great moment, yeah. right? So that was incredible. And I didn't stay last year to see Seattle lift the cup. I mentioned oh. in the podcast last year, right? Right, okay. So I didn't see it. And I remember in the podcast last year, you said I did stay because I wanted to make sure that I remembered that feeling when Toronto did it, right? So I, I obviously I stayed this time. But it was great seeing, you know, just the jubilation and the crowds and all that stuff. And then afterwards, getting together again with friends at the, you know, pub just to like relive it a little bit. It was just, it was a great, I don't know, eight or nine hours, yeah, you know, of celebration. Well, I, I don't know how, I guess, most supporters felt, but I, I felt like most of that weekend was kind of a dream to be honest like you know i know it was there i know it happened and i know i saw it but it wasn't you know that hard memory for some reason still hasn't really set in yet and even though i think the afterglow for me is you know probably like a two-week afterglow of sorts kind of for that uh that moment but um you know just being one of the more active supporters you know we got up we were at the stadium i think for 11 a.m we were told to get there because we had a whole um our whole tifo to set up and uh not only that like not only was it just figuring out the logistics of it we had to put all those cards on all the seats so we had all you know as many supporters as we could and it was you know it was a little chilly but i could see things coming together and i could see that you know we as supporters were kind of um you know we were kind of like doing our part in the whole uh scale of things and um the one thing I really felt, though, Ian, on that day was I really felt that to complete this, you know, incredible season and, and perfect, you know, the this, this, this season that was supposed to be, you know, if we did, it would be the, the greatest team in MLS history. I felt like we had to be perfect. Um, and, you know, we had to be perfect in every way because, you know, there's always going to be something that kind of, you know, trips you up or stops you. And I, and I felt really from... Uh, going to the stadium, like as soon as I got in the stadium, you, like, you know, the, the electricity in that stadium was incredible. Um, and just, you know, from, from, from basically, you know, even just the South Antifo, you know, and, and I was in the stands and, and just kind of looking around, I was like, wow, this is going really well. And I was off to a good start. And, and then, you know, the night, the anthems and, and then kickoff, um, I, I just felt that kind of everybody, you know, we all kind of did our part and we were all, you know, kind of pulling along together. And, and just the, the atmosphere in the stadium was, was incredible too. Like it was just, it was deafening at times. Um, and, and I, I did, I was able to, um, host a friend from out of town who hasn't been to matches in a few years for various, I guess, life reasons. And so we got, I got a chance to really experience the whole thing with like my closest TFC friends and, you know, supporters who have become really, really good friends. So, um, and then just the, the after the celebration after, like, I just, I tried to stay in the moment, you know, just kind of savor it, you know, even when you're like, Oh, I want to go, you know, meet up with this friend who's sitting in another section. It's like, no, I'm going to stay here. And I'm just going to kind of like a sponge kind of take this all in. Um, that was, that was kind of where I was at. And I just tried to stay 
throughout the whole playoff run, I was just kind of kind of staying in the moment and enjoying this because you know you never know when where this kind of train was going to lead us. So if I can go, if I can, if I can share mine, mm-hmm. here's here's how like my how I go through it is that I would say going into that game, you know, I'd done that uh, podcast with Aaron and his pregame analysis, like I bought into it and I like strong, I agreed. And I think the, what I was going into that game with, and I talked to some people who were kind of like unsure. And I basically like sold them on the statement that our four best players are way better than their four best players. Mm -hmm. Therefore, we're going to win. Right. I kind of like framed it like that. I was like, look, last year was a little bit more, a little bit more of the unknown. And this year I can, I feel like you can definitively say. Yeah. But you could say the same thing. I don't want to talk too much about last year, but last year it was kind of the same thing. Cause Dempsey was out with an injury, you know, and, and their lineup didn't change that much. And our lineup didn't change that much. Can you say our four best players were the better than their four best? Well, players? they didn't have Alonzo this year. That's true. And that, and that yeah. was, I think he was a really, he was a key player for them. Um, in that battle. Now, I don't think that Alonzo was better than Bradley. Yeah. I don't think Roldan is better. But this year, the conversation, I think, out of Seattle was Roldan's better than Bradley. Lodero's better than Jovinko. Dempsey's better than Altidore. And I'm like, <laughs> fuck that. I mean, like, give me, come on. Yeah. I mean, seriously. I just, what I are mean, they, they're basing that on their play coming into the game. Well, I mean, and... it's just, I mean, like, hey, look, I understand you're fans of your team, right? And you're going to, you're going to back your players. But I mean, it's, it's, it is that is a ridiculous. Roldan's not playing in Europe, right? Bradley uh, could, yeah, right. Lodero's not playing in Europe. Jovinko could, mm. and Dempsey maybe, and I think Altador still could. Yeah, I well, mean he's got baggage, but I think he could still play in. I bet you he could go back to the the Netherlands and play on a top team there. A, a lot of different leagues. I think he could still play on top teams. You know, Dempsey's also like four years older than Altador too, right? right. So, anyways, I was going into that game actually being like. This is, I feel like this year, everything, and you know, I'm always sort of like, you know, not statistically, but I'm like, I have to have evidence or some sort of precedent or track record to build my, build my case around. And I just felt like this year was so much strong, even stronger than last year. Mm -hmm. That I was like, we, no, we should be confident. This is, this is for us. We just have to go out and do the job. So, uh, you know, in the, I, that day was that case. The only, the only um, hitch for me on that day was. Before I knew what time the game was, I'd already made a promise that I would go to my niece's birthday. <laughs> that was starting at four. Um, so I had to really do, I had to really go above and beyond right. for her that day to get there early and do a whole bunch of extra things because I wasn't going to be there for the actual party. Yeah. Um, so I still am number one uncle. I just had to, <laughs> I had to do extra things. And, and my wife dropped me off. Like I jumped out on Lakeshore. Right. Driving home. To sprint up there, and I, I mean, I got there with like maybe ten minutes to spare. Oh, I was really? really surprised that I we actually made it. Yeah. So we got there just in time. You know what I mean? And it's just like, I don't know, man. I just felt I felt good, like in the stadium. The energy felt good. The day wasn't bitter. No. You know what I mean? If you yeah. think about it like that, like everything, I was just like, I feel like this. This it felt like our day to me, and. You know, just with that niggling thing in the back of your mind being like, there is always that one. Sure. The 2016 yeah. could happen. But, you know, the first half, I had to stop myself from saying it because I didn't want to jinx it. But I was like, we're fucking dominating this game. Yeah. Well, we did. Right? We're dominating this team. And it's like, what was that? I was trying to think of a good expression. 
Oh yeah. I mean like Seattle, the word I would have used to describe Seattle, aren't they was impotent. Yeah. Yeah. Like they just, I mean like they just didn't even show up. Yeah. Like they had nothing. Basically yeah. they only had two guys going down the wings their fullbacks or their wingbacks were the only thing that like looked like any hope for them. Mm. And it never came to anything. Yeah. And then the same thing I would say, you know, obviously Josie's goal was again, like out of, out of nowhere. And my recollection was, and I think I mentioned this before, you know, there were Seattle people across from me. And I was like, I kind of was like, I think I remember thinking, I want to make sure they know how fucking in like how much this meant. Mm. And uh, I really put into myself, like I was jumping in the aisle. Like I was, yeah. I was completely freaking out where I was like, I fucked up my knee. And, <laughs> uh, and then I feel like after the game, I was like, I think I did too many fist pumps. Like my shoulder was like, <laughs> felt like I threw it out. That was kind of like the memory. I, but I mean, when they scored that goal and that's, that was the only negative, I said the negative thing was, you know, I didn't know the people around me. There's these dudes in the road next to me and I punch the guy in the arm. And I was like, yes. And he looks at me like I'm crazy. And I go to the guy behind me. I grab him by the front of his jacket. And I'm like shaking him. And he's like, who is this guy? And the guy in front of me, I start slapping him on the back. And I'm like, yeah. Cause I'm like, come on, we're on this. Right. And they're sort of like, yeah, kind of, yeah, yeah. We're pretty happy. And I was just like, okay, sorry. I don't want to be like the, I'm sober. I am sober right now, but and then, you know, of course, to seal it, because you never know what can happen to get the second goal. And you're yeah, like, oh, that was... then, it, then it all shed, like all the anxiety shed it away. And we're yep. like, we did it. Yep. Holy fuck, we did it. And so Steve and I, we stayed like as all the way to the end. The only thing I think we wish we'd have, I don't, I don't know if they did it because we stayed pretty long. I don't think they did a whole tour walking around with the cup. No, it, I, well, yeah, I left when I thought that they were kind of done interacting with the stands. Yeah, you know, because um, there was a lot of that, and then there were the presentations, and then there were the kind of interviews on the field and stuff. So um, when I got the sense that it was kind of like over, yeah, I left as well. And I, I can't imagine that. I hope I didn't miss any. <laughs> no, because I think we were there for we were there over half an hour. Yeah, it was probably about that for me too, like 20, 25 minutes. Yeah, we hung around. Yeah, yeah, I got pretty sparse yeah. in our section. I was like, I don't yeah. think they're gonna walk around this yeah. with this cup, and I'm like, that kind of sucks. But um, you know, I was glad that we hung out through all that oh and then it was like oh, i didn't even put this on the, on our agenda but then of course did you go to the parade uh the tfc parade yeah pregame mm -hmm. no the one after the celebration parade two days later oh you know what i uh this is gonna sound so lame i wasn't able to i live very close but i was having a problem with my leg so i couldn't make it so i watched it on tv oh yeah um but um yeah no i mean it was um it's amazing how many people came out and showed up you know, in the middle of the day on a work day um, to, you know, march with TFC. And so many people in Nathan Phillips Square was pretty amazing. Yeah. And, of course, Josie's, you know, amazing, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, what, what do you call that? Like just a speech or a toast or whatever afterwards? That's just incredible. I don't know. A speech you think is usually prepared. That's true. Yes. Um, I don't know if that was necessarily prepared. Right. No. I, think, I think it had a lot of free form it was prepared you know. by something other than exactly know, yeah. um yeah because you know i definitely knew people who rolled the dice and booked that day off work really mm -hmm. wow which i was like that's off i was i i hindsight i was like why didn't i do that yeah. but i my work was like i actually can see nathan phillips square from my office window oh yeah um and so i was able to drop down onto bay street pretty quickly and that's, you know, watch him go by and I zip back up and kind of like watched it from 
my window and like kept an eye on the feed and stuff like that. So that's cool. Yeah. That was an amazing, an amazing three days. Yeah. Yeah. It really was. And um, then, so if like, if I ask you this, like, it seems obvious, but I mean, between 2016 to 2017, if we kind of like move through things. That's like, what's the, what was the, like, what were the main differences you thought between last season and this season? Uh, I guess obviously it's probably more, it's probably a player perspective, but I don't know if there's anything else you can, I th- you, you know, I there. think, I think, I think familiarity between players was big. I think getting comfortable with the system that Vanny was putting in place was big. I think there was probably a sense of redemption and not revenge, but just, you know, kind of proving your self and your worth that played into it. But if I was to pinpoint something specific, I'd probably say it was Vasquez, Mm. you know, because the year before Josie said that what Toronto FC needed was an attacking mid, you know, and they got Vasquez and uh, he came in and, and I know he wasn't up for MVP consideration, although he should have been. I mean, I don't think he was up for anything. Yeah. He got like what, 10 or 12 assists and like eight goals during the year. I mean, um, he came in and uh, he he became a a dangerous part of the attack that they couldn't ignore. They had to pay attention to him with free, freed up other players, right? And the other thing is I think that this year it wasn't the, the Jovinko show. You know what I mean? Like he could be double teamed, but if you do that, you're going to get, you know, killed by someone else. Altidore or, you know, more flying up the wing. You know what I mean? So um, it was probably just a, a team that kind of gelled even better than the year before with a, you know, piece or two like Mavinga. Yeah. And, you know, they just, it, it was just a better team this year than it was before. That was the difference. It was a better team. I think during the podcast or the, during the year that we mentioned um, a lot of this, but, you know, I thought that the team as a whole um, learned from their experience in the final last year and were more motivated this year and kind of knew what it took to, as we saw, win the final. But I think they used that same uh, motivation through most of the games this season. Um, I was a bit, you know, we talked about this, but I was a bit concerned at the beginning of the season that they might have been taking the regular season lightly um, in comparison because they knew that all that mattered was the final. But as the season progressed, they certainly showed that they weren't taking it lightly and that they were trying to win as many games as they can, which they proved to do. Um, and, you know, I think Vasquez and Mavinga were huge additions to the club and showed their quality. But to me, the main difference personally was Altador, not necessarily how Altador played, but his relationship with Javinko, as it seemed that Toronto had multiple um, choices in terms of attack where prior it seemed more that Dravinko was leading the way and then the other players would react to him. Now, I think part of that is Vasquez because Vasquez sort of opened up the play and he could pass to more players and, and more setting up um, opportunities. But I thought, the, again, I thought how Altador, um, you know, almost took it on his own instead of expecting the ball to come to him. And as we saw in the, certainly in the playoffs, um, he would be, proved to be the difference maker. Well, I think... I think the one thing that was was really noticeable was, with you know, 2016, the season as it played out, you know, we kind of had that kind of rise, you know, meteoric rise where we were kind of that mid-table-ish, you know, kind of threatening at times club. And then we just took off and, you know, pretty much on the back of Josie and 
in seven in the playoffs. And so we got to the final and I'm not sure that we as supporters were really ready for it because it was just, we were there and, you know, we wanted to win and we came in um, with such, uh, in such good form. And then this year, it, you know, really flipped. It was that team that's really good that is basically finding ways to win and uh, are not winning, you know, maybe in the traditional fashion that they did all season. And um, I really felt that like the, everybody was, everybody from, you know, the supporters to the 11 on the field that started to, to Vanny, to, to really everybody, to, you know, everybody was ready for this match. Like, and, and, and I don't think they could have been ready or more ready or, or more prepared. I thought they were, I thought everything was, was fantastic in terms of, you know, the, the stadium, like, as I said, chance just ringing around the stadium. Um, people were up for it and people, people after last year, where people kind of didn't really, I felt like it was the first time, so people didn't really know what to expect. And then this year, it was like we we came to win, right? And and that's um, that's that's what the players obviously did. You could see that it was clear intent and and the way that they were playing. And and I think the supporters really really reflected that as well. Yeah, I think I think if we look at the evolution of the team, um, you know, you, I think you have to give a lot of credit that. From 2015 into 2016, you know, 2016, we saw key additions, right? You saw uh, the summer where Ricketts and yeah. Cooper came in, and they were instrumental in the team making the push to the, the cup. Yeah. And then I think when you look at going into the next season, you know, you had Hagland and Zavaleta, who are still young guys, but probably don't have the pedigree or experience to maybe you know, rely on all the time. Uh, so I think Mavinga was an interesting player to bring in. Didn't have heaps of ex- like actual first team playing experience, but obviously his background was really strong in yeah. terms of, you know, playing for top, you know, top academy in England, top academy in France, you know, and definitely Vasquez turned out to be such a shrewd signing. And I think Mavinga, I like the Mavinga story because he wasn't a guy that you really thought was going to be what he ended up being. I think Vasquez, a lot of people identified pretty quickly. Yeah. Right. That yeah. he was, and they, you know, even if you just looked at Vasquez's track record playing in Belgium and being a player of the year there, you would have assumed he should, he should be able to be a good player in MLS. Mm. You know, my only question about him was the, you know, as they say, the physicality, but it didn't even really matter. Like that's how good he was. That yeah. It didn't even factor in. But for me, like when you look at Mavinga's story of his season, and how he progressed through it and became an integral player. You know, what I would say about him and how great his addition was, is if you look at especially the cup final, he allowed us to, to then change our formation, which we couldn't do before. Yeah, We weren't ready. We couldn't play two center backs mm-hmm. because I don't know about you, but I mean, I just wouldn't trust it being more in Zavaleta or more in Hagland. Mm-hmm. Um, neither of those guys, you know, Zavaleta to me, still has issues with ball on his feet um, and sort of handling 1v1 pressure. Yeah. And Hagland, I think both him and Hagland, Hagland I think is great aerially and it's just sort of like that rock guy, but, you know, he can get caught out. He doesn't have the pace or athleticism. And I think Mavinga has, he, I think he nullifies both those weaknesses from both those guys. Yeah. Um, and allowed us to add 
another player in the midfield, which was essential, I think, in the yeah. final. Well, and also Mavinga, I mean, he has that other side of him. He's, he can attack. He can go forward, mm-hmm. too, right? So what, what I love about Mavinga is that he um, his timing is so impeccable. Sometimes he'll lunge at a player, like in the in the final. He the Dempsey, the yeah, Dempsey the Dempsey. Play. Yeah, I mean that if he did get that, Dempsey that was almost could... a game saving play. Yeah, if you think yeah. about it, because Dempsey probably would have finished that. Yeah, I think so. So I mean, Mavinga, he had like kind of like this uh, pedigree coming in, but sometimes when a player has that kind of pedigree, but they haven't made it, they're looked at as a bit of an underachiever. Yeah, you know what I mean. But when you know after that first game, everybody agrees that first game he played wasn't good. Right, but to his credit, he came out and said, "I wasn't prepared," and he got prepared. And for the rest of the season, I mean, he's an MVP candidate on the team, yeah. in my opinion. That and I remember it. If we'll talk about the season, but I mean, the Atlanta away game mm-hmm. for me was like a statement game for him. Like he really, I felt like he probably circled that game on the calendar and was like, "Okay, this is a game where I'm going to prove." how good I really am and what happened that first time is never going to happen again. Yeah. I just like, the, for me, that was really one of the stories of the year. Yeah, I agree. And then, you know, the last guy I would probably say, which is interesting because he was on the team, was Bono. Yeah. Obviously had a really good year. Yeah. Um, I don't think he he was the story through a lot of it. However, he was, you know, he when he first came on the team and I think there's points last year where he had some pretty bad games. Yeah. I think, oh, and he had a couple, you know, a couple of games, like the Montreal home game. That was a doozy, right? Yeah. But uh, overall, you know, I thought he played pretty good and had some games where it was like he made the game-saving save. Yeah. Um, which is really what you want. Yeah, it's interesting that um, if you kind of think back about the uh, keepers that Toronto FC has acquired or drafted young, like they've actually been pretty good. I mean, like Stephen Fry. You know, turned out to be a really good keeper. Mm-hmm. Um, Bendick. Bendick. Uh, he turned out to be a pretty good keeper. Bono turned out to be a pretty good keeper. I mean, they have, they, for some reason, are able to draft young, good goalkeepers, right? Yeah. So when Irwin went down and Bono came in, I'll admit I was nervous, right? Because, you know, he's so young and I don't know what to expect him. But he really grew into that role and obviously took it over. And, um, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with Irwin um, going forward, but um, uh, I'm happy that Bono's you know with us and in net and young and hungry, and he might get called up to the U.S. team. So I mean, yeah, I, I just think I think he's got it's all everything's in front of him. Yeah, and you know how fortunate he has to be to be on a team like this, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and get that opportunity because I think he can. It allows him. It'll it'll allow him to grow. Yeah, right. Whereas like if you're on a poor team and mm-hmm. you're getting hammered. Uh, I think the all eyes are on you and the blame falls on your shoulders. Yeah. So he's, I think he, but I think he, you know, for the most part stood up and, and played, you know, he wasn't seen as any kind of weak link or like the guy, you know, the part of this whole puzzle that didn't fit. Mm. He made, he made key saves in games that kept us. In Absolutely. It. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we had a great defense, but when that defense kind of broke down a little bit, he made some huge saves. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've kind of talked about, a few different things here and there, but I think one of the other things I wanted to talk about is it through the season recap is the season itself. Uh, and if we can kind of, I think the question, and I think I had this question last year and we've said it through different episodes of sort, you know, I like to identify when, you know, when did you start seeing things or start saying to yourself, you like, yes, like this, 
this season might be different than last season, or this team is holy shit. This team is this team is the best team I've ever seen. Yeah, this team could be the best team in MLS history because mm-hmm. I think there was for me there was definitely like there was points in the summer where I was just like this is this I've never seen like I don't care what people are saying about you know LA past LA Galaxy teams you know they won games but I mean the way we're playing you know there was games where we had strung together the string of passes that it just was like this is a joke I feel like I'm how spoiled we are to actually be like oh this is MLS yeah and we're controlling possession. Not just passing along our fucking back line. No, we're penetrating and we're making things happen and we're creating great chances on goal. I don't think there's been too many, if any, teams who have really played like we have, especially at home through the summer. Is there any? Is there any? You know, any games specifically or anything that really stood out to you, Paul? This this year that you were like, "Holy shit, this is the real deal." I, I would say, like, I I don't look at um, specific games necessarily. I look at kind of trends. Mm. I look at trends and I look at circumstance right so at the beginning of the year they started off great um i don't know what the exact number of um you know undefeated was but it was like four or five to start the year they still kept going they didn't lose a lot they didn't um you know uh, draw points and then like during the summer they were so good they went on like uh was it uh an 11 game streak in july and august you know and then you know they came home and they lost a couple games but then you know they got the supporter shield so it was it was a combination of consistent good play but also important, on the road, they didn't get pushed around. And, you know, everybody says on the road in MLS, you're lucky if you can average a point a game. But uh, Toronto didn't go into any road game just looking for a point. They beat teams on the road in their house, which is, you know, it's the mark of a you know championship team that they can go and do something like that. Really hard question. I just, one of my goals throughout the year was, you know, I, I actually didn't want to get too, too carried away because I wanted to... I wanted to really enjoy this season no matter what. So no matter where this road takes us, I was pretty confident, you know, maybe I think I appeared on the podcast sometime in the middle of the summer. And I was pretty confident that this is, you know, we have the best, you know, we're seeing the best manager TSC has ever had. We're seeing the best, you know, team has ever put together. Um, you know, you, you could argue best goalkeeper and, and, and on and on. Like we're, this is the best of everything. And so, my, my initial goal was really just to kind of let's try to enjoy this because you know we don't you know I don't want to beat myself up over something if you know maybe something just doesn't go the right way this is you know the balance round as they say and so I really tried to enjoy every bit of this season and I think uh, I think when it really kind of hit stride in the summer um, uh, a few of our friends and I have like a TFC point pool and we all really we got really low. We were on the fifties, I think because, and, and just because we didn't really expect it, but once the summer rolled around and they were just, they really, especially at home, they were just grabbing teams and throwing them aside, you know, and, and goals were coming from, you know, goals from Moro and goals from Seva and goals just coming from everywhere. Um, you know, and it wasn't what I liked was that, you know, it's obviously what not, uh, there's, you know, a few players that are really important, but they didn't just lean on those particular players. Um, so I, I, sometime around the summer, I think we actually chatted on the podcast about, uh, you asked me if I was scared of anybody. And, and this, of course, was after a game. And I think it was, uh, you know, a pretty convincing win. And I said, I'm not scared of anybody. And so I think that was the point where I kind of said, like, you know, we're, we're, we're in this. So we're going to be, 
you know, it'd be it'd be probably a large disappointment if we if we weren't um, playing uh, in the final, and then in turn it would be a disappointment if we didn't actually raise that trophy at the end of it. I think you actually brought up a very good point about Chicago because I was actually at that away game. That was one of the games I had targeted that I wanted to go, and uh, you know, Chicago at the time was you know they were still kind of that. I guess they were kind of challenging a little bit. Uh, and TFC went into Chicago and, you know, had what I would say, um, based on this season, was kind of like a vintage road performance. You know, it wasn't it wasn't a 5 nothing win or anything, but, you know, they they showed the kind of team where they, they were. And I think that was definitely one of the points um, where I, you know, I, I thought, well, you know, this is, this is, I think this is going to lead to somewhere good, I guess. <laughs> In my preseason prediction, I predicted Toronto um, to win the league this year. So in that sense, I, I had thought that going into the season. Um, I really think it was probably the first couple of games, um, mainly because I was evaluating the quality that we were up against. And especially at the home games, I felt that the other teams really didn't compete with Toronto. And that was something I was looking for throughout the season, is for some team to step up and say, okay, this is a competitive league, this is going to be a battle throughout, and I never saw that. So, you know, there were certain times in the year, you know, the playoff game against New York, where the team sort of had to dig down and, and do what it took to get by. But, you know, I don't think anyone could question that this was the best team this year, probably the best team in the history of MLS. And so I don't really think there was a point of concern or worry um, that Toronto wouldn't go off and do what they did. I think for me, I, th- you know, I think the, I remember last year, like I had, I can remember in 2016 that the, some of the things that sort of ticked the boxes were that teams that teams that had come to BMO in previous years, like New England and DC and Columbus and had beaten us. Yeah. Like, I think it was, if I remember correctly, if I work it backwards, go oh, right. 2015, the end of the year, Columbus came and I think they beat us three nil. Mm. And Right at right before the playoffs, and I'm like, what a statement yeah. that you know we're trying to get in the playoffs and make something happen, and we lose to one of our rivals three nil at home. Yeah, and New England came to BMO and I think beat us three nil, mm-hmm. and we just looked like shit. And 2016, we killed all those, like we beat all those teams pretty handily. And I'm like, okay, this is things are are changing. And then in 20 this year, you know, when I looked at, I was like, okay, who are our key playoff rivals? That's what I'm going to measure. And NYCFC comes to BMO Field. I think it was the end of July. Like yeah, July they ended 30th. up second, didn't they? We beat them for nothing. Yeah. And it wasn't just that we beat them for nothing. Like there was teams that came to BMO. I think like if I remember, if I remember the teams I'm going to run off of, I'm thinking New York, Portland, and San Jose. And there was other big wins like the Columbus game. But those three games, if my memory serves, those teams when they were playing us. Like they looked like they just didn't like they just wanted to go home as soon as possible. <laughs> like they had already they had already come to terms of what was happening to them. Like so early in the game, they knew it was hopeless. Yeah, and they knew they had no answer for what we were bringing to the table that day. And I was like, "Holy fuck, this is like I've never seen Toronto FC like just take a team's heart and like a team like New York who was who's supposed to be you know David Villa." Oh, David Villa is the league MVP. He's better than Jovinko. Blah blah blah. Well, here's his opportunity. Yeah, I know. To really yeah. show that he's an MVP, and he did dick all. Didn't do shit. 
right? And and Jovinko scores in that game, if I'm not mistaken. He might have scored two, uh, I think. And I'm just like, eat that. And then if you flip it around on your point about away games, if I'm not mistaken, we're talking about uh, we're talking about that stretch that was like July through August, yeah. early September, the Chicago game. And at that point, when we went away to Chicago, all the talk was Chicago's home form. They're the best at home. Blah, blah, they were blah. undefeated or something. I think, right? or they had one loss, or yeah. they're undefeated. And how great they were. And this was gonna. This was the fixture of the summer. And man, we owned them. I mean, it was three. They scored. Schweinsteiger scored a killer goal. But that was it. Like yeah. they had no answer. And who was it? Who's I can't think of the striker's name. Is it Nikolic, the guy from Hungary? And he he did nothing. Like he was a, such a non-factor in that game. And if I'm not mistaken, in that stretch, we beat Montreal away. Another rival. And it just kind of like for me, I'm like, okay, well, hold on. We got a rival, key rival coming up. Let's see how we play away to them. Mm-hmm. And all those games to me was like, this is so important. Because we're gonna, we might have them away in the playoffs, yeah. And yeah. to make that kind of statement, being like, we played you in the season and mm. tooled you at home, yeah, or at in your stadium, and I was like, holy, sh- this is this is next level shit, yeah, yeah. right. That because I think those LA Galaxy teams, like I think they had a lot of draws. If I'm not mistaken, I'm kind of just pulling that out of the air, but that's my recollection is that they, you know, they. I don't think they went on the road, right, and and took took the other team's heart. Right. We right. did. Well, I mean, the fact that we won the Supporters' Shield means that we did well on the road, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and we beat L.A. by, what, two points for the Supporters' Shield, their their run? So, and that was just, a, you know, one particular year. So, yeah, no, totally. I mean, I think you're making some really good points about those particular kind of, like, rivals and beating them, how important that was. Yeah, I think that I think that was, for me, the, you know, big difference is that, you know, you, you we took out the best teams. Yeah. You, know, you got to beat the shit teams. Although, funny enough, as I say that, you know, like the Colorado game at home. Oh, <laughs> yoy. That was a doozy. But, you know, when when it when push came to shove, you know, Toronto took care of business, which yeah. leads me to the next thing I was going to run into. And that is, you know, through that we talked about this whole season, that playoff run. Yeah. Wasn't like 2016. No. Uh, you know, let me say one thing about the playoff run. Like, we... There are people saying that uh, or have said that Seattle didn't have as tough a run to get to the final as Toronto did, which is true, right? But if we put Seattle in context, they got like 53 points, right? And they played Vancouver and Houston. Vancouver had like 52. Mm -hmm. Houston had like 50. So in a way, Seattle didn't have an easier time getting to the final. They played people on their level. Right. And they did well against them. Right. So they had a tough run in their kind of range. Sure. Right. The fact is that uh, Toronto went through better teams and they didn't score a lot of goals. And they were tough games. They were grinding games. Um, when they played, uh, who'd they play first? They played uh, New, York. New York first. Right. They went in and won on the road again. Right. They beat them 2 1. Sure. New York came here and beat us one nothing, but we did the job, right? We scored those two away goals, right? So it was dirty. But I got to put an asterisk on that home game. Okay. We that we fucking scored two goals in that game. Well, yes. Okay. So yes. that bullshit that people are going to be like, how does the team lose a game yeah. and we'll go through? Fuck off. Yes. All right? The, one of those goals is a goal. Yes. And there's sure. a penalty in there somewhere. Yeah. Another penalty. So shut up with that. I, I totally get what you're Not saying. You. But if you're going with just like the final score... Mm. Right. Like then 
And then Columbus, again, we went there, and th- what, what happened? We tied there the first game, and then we won one nothing here. So it was a tough— Yeah, it was nil-nil. Yeah. And then it was 1-0. One, one yeah, so it was a grind, right? So what happened was, I think, Seattle, I don't think they had an easy path. They had a path that was, you know, consistent with their conference and who they were playing. You know, so it was it was maybe they did really well against people who were as good as they were. But then when they got here, they got outclassed, right? Not because necessarily we had to play New York or Columbus, but because this is a 69-point Supporter Shield team playing a 53-point West Coast team. Yeah. You know what I mean? The, 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 the difference was just so stark. That's why they looked like they were impotent in that final game. Yeah. It was just they, they bumped up against a way better team. Again, I wasn't probably as nervous as other people. I thought that we dominated the series against um, Columbus in terms of how you want to win that series, in terms of getting the away draw and then winning it at home. Um, You know, again, I thought the New York game had its moments, but I think that was mostly uh, partly aggravated or, or caused by New York. But it was, you know, the team lost their temper a bit. And, you know, I think this is always the sort of issue when you're dealing with playoffs in soccer is, is, you know, games are not decided by multiple goals. So every game is almost going to be a one goal or close to one goal um, result. Um, and in the final, you know, again, I thought that one, one of the things I think the final showed us is, is that the Eastern Conference was more competitive than the Western Conference. And, um, you know, I think that showed why Seattle had an easier time getting to the final. But, you know, there's no way that you could say Seattle is a better team than Toronto this year. I, I said kind of initially to uh, to a friend uh, in the States and uh, who happens to be a Galaxy supporter. But he said, you know, if you get back and, you know, you play Seattle, please, please destroy them for us. And I, I said, I don't want to play Seattle. I don't know if I could go through 90 minutes of that again. And, um, you know, I'm, it, it would just be, it would just tear me apart inside. And, um, in terms of the, the season and then, and the playoff run, like it was, you know, I, I think, uh, um, there's hallmarks of, you know, championship sides and, and, and depending on the sport, you know, there's particular things in each sport that you can look for as a sign that that is a, that's a really good team. And one of the things was just, you know, they weren't scoring a lot, but defensively, they're, you know, very, very sound. And so, you know, I, I really thought that as long as, you know, defensively, we were rather sturdy, you know, we can, we, we have a chance to get back to where we want to get to. And, and really, you know, with, you know, the firepower, they scored enough goals to kind of get us there. And I do kind of feel, and I got the feeling in the final, and, and I don't know how you feel about this, but... I do feel that the TSC was far better than any team I've, I saw this year and whether they, they played against, yeah, they had, you know, a few off games here and there, but I, I almost felt that at times, you know, referees almost kept other teams in the game. Whereas, you know, I think I felt like if a, you know, like a, a Seattle Sounders went and played and there was, you know, maybe say like a European referee that was, that was officiating that match. You know, I, I just think they're going to get in card trouble really quickly. And so I, I basically other teams, and you can see with the Red Bulls, is we're going to just, we're going to rough them up. We're going to try to get in their heads. We're going to try to get them off their game. And, and 
you know, that's frankly, that's a side of a team that, that's overmatched. Right. And, and I don't think anyone can really argue otherwise. Um, in terms of the final itself, what I, I felt that it was, there were two different finals in that I felt last year, Seattle knew that they were overmatched. And so they, they basically said, we're going to come in here and we have a specific plan. We're just going to try to, we're going to try to shut down everything and kind of, you know, hope we can nick a goal or I guess in, in, you know, how it ended was winning, winning a shootout. Uh, whereas this year, I actually think that they tried to play and they just couldn't. And I think they were just completely dominated and, and, you know, whether that was, uh, Bradley, you know, chances or just the, the, the midfield who just really controlled the match. And, and I, I actually noticed the one thing that I actually noticed right away from the stands was, um, there was a, a challenge by Mavinga in the third minute. And so I think Dempsey has the ball along the, um, the sideline on the West end and Mavinga basically just slides right through him in the ball. So there was, he basically, he was saying that there's, there's, he didn't want to make any doubt. He wasn't just going to, you know, try to take this off him or play it out. Like he wanted to make sure that this was, this attack was finished and right there. I knew I said, oh, dude, these guys are in it. These guys are in it to this game to, you know, to lift the cup at the end. And that that was, and and then as you saw as the game played out, you know, you could really see the intent and the hunger, you know, of the players because it's one thing to keep on getting stopped, but the the good teams and the great teams are going to just keep on. It's a puzzle and keep on trying to to pick that lock and and eventually. You know, it happens. And I, and I think Stephen Fry made some, you know, some nice saves. But the Sounders, like, I, I went, I kind of went through the, the game again. And the fourth minute, the Sounders had this, it was a deflected cross that went towards the net and, and narrowly went over the bar. And that was when they were attacking the South End. They had nothing else other than that. They got all. And, and I, and I said, I don't think it's because they, didn't, they, they were sitting back. I, I just think that they were, they were, they, they came in in better form. And I think they, they thought they could have played a bit better. And, and I think Greg Vanny kind of touched on the point um, about the pressure. You know, TFC, every, every, every tie that they were in was tight. And, you know, they had to, to really play through it. Whereas even the matches that Seattle had uh, in the, I guess, Western Conference final against Houston, they actually played a man up against Houston in each of those games. So they had really, you know, a much easier time of it um, to get to the final. And then they were just basically brushed aside. I thought, I thought it was, you know, um, very convincing performance. And, you know, the, the first half, you know, they didn't score, which was obviously, you know, you're frustrated by that. But if you compare the first half of, the MLS Cup final versus the first half of the previous home game against Columbus. I actually thought the previous game against Columbus, they had the first half was one of their worst halves of the entire season because they just, they just looked out of sorts. They couldn't put three passes together. Uh, I actually, I thought, you know, I thought players, you know, Josie was terrible in, in the first half. And, and then we, you know, over the course of what, you know, a couple of weeks, they they put together a first half that you could you know and, and I think uh, Steph talked about this previously. It was the, I said in the stands it was, it was the um, it was the best half of best half of the season without scoring right like I, I always add that caveat because 
you know, they, if you score, it's going to be a better half likely than, um, than if you didn't score at all. But in terms of just pure performance wise, it was, it was an incredible half. And I think, and I think, you know, everyone felt good about that because you could just keep on carrying that forward. Yeah. And me, well, so I will maybe slightly disagree. Okay. Cause I'll say it like this, like, you know, maybe the, the final, as I put it like this, you know, as they say, steel sharpens steel and you play against Now let's, I'm going to compare the two divisions. You play against New York, you play against Columbus. I mean, New York and Columbus are perennial. New York, especially look over the last, sure. know, at least yeah. five years, but maybe somewhere between five and 10 years have been perennial contenders for the top of the East. I mean, that is an experienced franchise that, although they've never made it, they consistently have the goods. And then Columbus as well are a team that are experienced and they know how to, you know, their players are experienced in the league. Uh, And of course, they've always been in that realm of playoff appearances, knowing what it takes to get through rounds. Mm. And I think that's why they beat Atlanta. Atlanta, especially with players, have no track record in the league. I just don't think you know, oh, shit, this is one game for everything. They're just going to play a cynical game. We have to play differently than just a regular season game. What I would say about the West, though, is that, you know, Vancouver is a team that this season, I think, surprised a lot of people and maybe punched a bit above their weight. And Houston is a team that emerged this season. So Seattle didn't have perennial like the galaxy had a shit year yeah. right so if, if they didn't have that perennial west coast rival to kind of like or like even rail salt lake right those are the two te- like seattle rail salt lake and la are over the last since we've been in the league are the teams that have been the perennial west coast teams sure. that where it's like yeah when seattle gets through them now you're humming they didn't quite have that so much this year i think and i think that might have been a bit of the, you know, you you have that opponent that has to like really push you up, mm. and we had two of them. Yeah, and I think I think Seattle had the opponents that they knew they could play a certain way to beat them. Yeah, if I should say it like that, like they, I don't think they ever felt really uncomfortable. Yeah, I don't I don't think we're saying anything too different from one another. What I'm, no, I, I don't I think guess, so either. I'm not yeah. really disagreeing. I'm just giving you. I maybe have a slightly different take. I, I guess what I would say, if I could use your metaphor of steel sharpening steel, is that the quality of the steel sure. in the West was less than in the East. Mm-hmm. Right? So I think that I think Seattle did well. They didn't get scored on in their run getting to the Cup. Yeah. But they were playing weaker steel than <laughs> we were. Yeah. Right? And when they got here, they they – Got macheted. Yeah. Yeah. We cut through them like butter. Yeah. Like butter. Yeah. And if we, you know, we've talked about some of the players of the season. I think this is the next part is, uh, you know, who, who do you, I think, I don't know how varying this is going to be. I have a feeling most people are going to lean towards one person, but do you have a player of the year? Who was it that really, like, is I, there anyone that like grabbed it for you this season? I would say Vasquez. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I would, I would say that take it because I have a different one. Yeah, I would say that um, he was one of the big differences between last year and this year. Uh, I think he came in and he uh, posed another threat that people had to think about. Um, I think he opened it up for a lot of other players other than Javinko and, and Altador, and he contributed with assists and goals himself. Um, that would be my player of the year. Now, if you could make a case for someone like Mavinga, who came in and really stabilized the back line and surprised a lot of people. I, I think it would be Vasquez. That would be my pick. 
Wow, that's a tough question. I'd probably give it to Vasquez. And I think that he was the player that uh, really, you know, made the difference on this team. Um, his just, you know, just the amount of goals he assisted and chances he created and, and just the, the quality he brought to the team. I, I would say him. Now, you know, that's not to take away from, you know, Josie, obviously Seba. Seba's always right there. And, and, you know, I've seen a lot of shouts for Bono. I'm not sure I give Bono player of the season yet. I, I think Vasquez is probably uh, what I do. But I can also see shouts for, for Bradley, too. Like, I think Bradley went from, you know, he, he was kind of played further up the field with attacking. And then uh, last year, obviously, kind of settled into more of a defensive position. But I still felt he was a bit kind of hot potato. And so he would kind of get the ball and it was immediately moved. Whereas I felt this year he really uh, came into that role of deep central midfielder where, you know, he, he wasn't just giving it up right away. You know, he was trying to open up the field with passes and, you know, maybe, you know, you got to be, if you play a position like that, you have to be somewhat technically gifted and that you're going to have to get out of some situations. And he was able to do that. And then he was just able to use his physicality and, and, uh, you know, defensive abilities. In the final. I would say Vasquez, but you know what? I I would totally accept an argument for a bunch of other players too. Um, as I mentioned before, <laughs> it'd be funny if I changed it now, but um, I think for me, it was Jose, uh, Jose Altador. Um, and I say that because not necessarily how he performed individually, but what he added to the team and in terms of how the team worked around him. Um, and succeeded with them. You know, I, I would also give credit to players like Vasquez and Mavinga, which I mentioned. Um, you know, I think Morrow had a season um, that's going to be hard to uh, replicate. I thought the fact that Alex Bono sort of established himself as the number one keeper. And again, you know, we're overlooking Javinko, and I don't think you can do that because he just proved again what a great player he is. I'm going with Alzador. Really? Yeah. And I think if you put the whole season... I think it's almost a shame that they give away that. Like, that award should have been, you should weigh in the whole, like, mm-hmm. right to the end. Because his two, his goal against Columbus and his goal against, honestly, those two those two goals for me, to me, almost seals it. Like, it's yeah. just like, he became the player this season, I feel like, of what he always was hyped up to be. Yeah. Like, from back when he was a kid. Like, I think this this was finally the year that you were like, I mean, he can make cases, I guess, for his seasons in, in the Netherlands, but because he really delivered them. But I think from, you know, a visibility point of view, I think this was this was it. Like, he delivered on all levels. Like, when we needed that, a guy like him, he he did it. When we needed a goal, yeah. he scored it. When, when Jovinko wasn't always on his game, he filled that void. I just, and, you know, he's kind of like a guy that you're like, yeah, he should be the superhero. I mean, he's, mm-hmm. he's physically is one. Right, like so, you're hoping that a guy like that can make these plays and make things happen. And I just thought, you know, when when you look back and I'm like the goal against Columbus and the goal against Seattle, that's it for me. That's it for me on this season. And I think, and he's, you know, he's just that whole story through the year with him and Bradley as well. Just, you know, I alluded to it in the the last podcast. It's just where I kind of felt like once the whole shit with the U.S. I'm like, and all the fans were booing him. Like, fucking boo him. We'll Mm. take him. Mm. He's ours now. Like happily. I'll happily take those guys. Well, he says that he wants to finish his career in Toronto, right? Yeah. I, mean, I, I will admit that Altidore um, is inspirational 
in his play, right? Like he doesn't quit. Certainly while he's been here, a lot, a lot of criticism about, you know, his play previously, but um, um, I'll, I'll give you that. You know, I still think Vasquez feeding him is important, but uh, yeah. hundred percent. Sure. Yeah. I th- and I think that's, we can, we can go back and forth on that. And I can, I can make a case for Vasquez mm. just as easily as, as for out the door, I think. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, this is a season two where it's almost, you know, I think we could all come up with a lot of players, right? Mm-hmm. Like Moro still had a great year, oh, yeah. scored a heaps, you know, a bunch of goals. Jovinko still had a great year. Yeah, he did. Um, and that's what, like earlier when I said it wasn't the Jovinko show this year, I mean, that, I mean, the fact that we are saying Jovinko had a great year, but we're not considering him for the MVP of the team, I mean, speaks volumes about how deep and good 2017 Toronto FC really was. Yeah, I think it's important. You can look at Jovinko's season and be like, yeah, it wasn't as good as previous seasons. But I think, I hope that you, like people who, who take that angle understand that that's why it has, it had to get spread around. Yeah. Jovinko played at his best and most dominant when we got bounced out in the first game of the playoffs and all he had to do was isolate him. Yeah. Right. So it's like, I will take Jovinko like this season all the time. Yeah. If that means that. Altador scores 15 goals. Vasquez puts in a couple here and there. Mm. That our team is balanced all around and nobody knows where it's coming from. I think that's... And, I mean, it, truthfully, Jovinko still can step up when we need him to. Yeah. Right? He still makes cr- great plays. I mean, he missed a goal in the final by by one ball width. He, didn't he put that uh, ball in for Altador? To, he did. Yeah. And it was just the perfect ball. Yeah. I mean, he caught it backwards and turned and just mm. put it... He just knew where to put it. Yep. It's it's not just and that's just the thing is that if you peg him just on his goals, I don't yeah. know I don't know what to tell you. Like, yeah. he offers so much more than that. So, you know, with that in mind, I guess the the, the last section of this podcast, Paul, is twenty eighteen. Where do we go from here? What? And it's this is again this can we can take this in a lot of different directions, you know, in terms of like accolades. But I'm hoping it's as an open ended question that you can we can. I have a few different ideas of things that I'm hoping for. What are you hoping for for this club after a season like this? Well, what do you um, want next? Things like that. Well, I I would say that I'm I've if people read my comic and stuff, they've probably uh, gotten the impression that I'm a big fan of the Concacaf Champions League. So I would say that we've won every cup we could domestically, that maybe that is the cup that we go for. And if we have to sacrifice one of those other cups to get there, I'd be okay with it. It's a league competition. Of course the MLS Cup is the goal. That's what you want to do every year, right? But I hope, and I think, because Bill Manning said that they're focused on the CONCACAF Champions League, that they're going to be a little more, not serious, but they're going to, place a little bit more importance on it than perhaps they've placed on the past. The team just, you know, it has to get better and better competition. And I'm talking, you know, Mexico, no disrespect to some of the MLS teams and stuff like that. That is going to make our team better, right? That's going to make our team grow. And that's going to put us, you know, more on the world stage than we are right now. Well, I don't know if you could beat it. Uh, that's, that's, you know, that's unless you had, you know, more, unless you did all of the same and then had more points, I guess you would beat, beat it. My, uh, I do have a clear, I think there's some clear goals though. Um, I think there, uh, there should be a sustained push for the CONCACAF Champions League. And that's not going to be easy, but I, it, it's a, it's a competition that takes place earlier in the year. So I think you can prioritize that a little bit in terms of, 
uh, your squad selection and, and, and whatnot for even uh, MLS regular season matches and, and even then just substitutions in those matches. So definitely, um, you know, most of my eggs are going into the CONCACAF Champions League, I would say, to start the season. And then I'm, after that, I'm, I'm preparing for another MLS Cup. Like I, I think the Supporters' Shield was nice to win this year, and I know it's the traditional you know, league champion that, uh, you know, the world over, but going for that again is, you know, especially after if we have, a uh, any kind of run in the, in the champions league early in the season, like there's going to be some guys that are going to need some rest. Now, obviously with the U S not going to the world cup, we're going to, we're going to receive a little bit of that, but the, I would say prioritizing kind of a competition at the begin towards the beginning of the season. And then the, obviously the ultimate goal, because, to be, you know, if we're going to go down as a team that is, I don't know, people throw around like the word dynasty, but um, I'm not sure that really applies to, to football. But, I, you know, I, I want to win another MLS Cup, really. That, that, that's the goal at the end of the season. Like, Supporter Shield, you know, you know that'd be nice. But I, I think, you know, the, the priority has to be another MLS Cup at the end of it. Because um, that is really what this league awards. And, you know, we all like the Supporters' Shield, and the Supporters' Shield is, you know, it is a Toronto trophy, so um, it's nice to win. But uh, the MLS Cup and the CONCACAF Champions League, and, and, of course, you always want to be the best team in Canada. I would say those are, those, those are my goals, and I guess always be better than Montreal. I think that's always on my list. Yeah, I think that's a difficult question because I think it's easy to say, oh, well, we're just going to win again. But until you see the team start playing, you don't really know if they're going to have that same motivation. Um, you know, I'm assuming teams have won multiple titles and or back-to-back titles in MLS, but it doesn't seem to be a league where teams continue to sort of dominate in that role. Um, I think it's interesting that the team has mentioned that they're interested in the uh, CONCACAF Champions League. Um, generally, I'm interested in that tournament because I do follow Mexican soccer and I'm aware of some of the other teams in Latin America. Um, certainly, I think the UNAL uh, Tigers game, if we get by um, Colorado, will be one of the games of the season that's coming up fairly shortly. Um, but, you know, and uh, even doing winning that, if we are able to win the CONCACAF Champions League, us going to the World uh, Club Championship and maybe playing a Real Madrid or Chelsea or someone like that would be very cool. So... You know, certainly I, something I want. Um, I don't know. I, I guess we'll have to see how the season progresses if it's something that the team really wants. But we'll see. You know, I think they're in a good position already in terms of evaluating their competition and what is needed. Um, you know, I think the acquisitions of Mavinga and Vasquez show hope that the management and scouting of this team is capable of finding um, you know that next level players to add to this team. I know with the moves they made this off season. They have the budget for that, so I think they could bring in two guys at um, a Vasquez salary or a Mavinga salary to add to this team. But again, I think a lot of that depends on what the rest of the league is. You know, I know Atlanta did a lot of moves this summer, which seems exciting. But to me, for the most part, it doesn't seem that the MLS is um, progressing at the same level as Toronto. So I think is you know, and a natural thing, I think you play to the competition of your opponent, which is the thing that does concern me with Toronto, especially if they're playing Mexican sides in the Hockey Champions League, 
because this is a team or a situation that we haven't been involved in anymore. And so maybe this is not the year that we win that. Maybe like the finals, the year that in, in the next season we come back and, and you know, learn from what we, we take from this year to win the next year or something like that. So, yeah, I, I think I, okay, so let me think how I can go through this. So for me, I don't disagree. I think that the Champions League is something where it's like, if I, you know, obviously because of how good our season was, I think Toronto FC is probably the most likely team in the league history to be able to do it. So that's an opportunity. Mm-hmm. However, be, I feel like as a Canadian and you know, supporting a Canadian team in an American league, I still feel like MLS is so pro-American. Every opportunity to tell them to fuck off, I'll, I relish in it. And to win a cup back-to-back <laughs> and really ram it down everyone's throat that right. Toronto FC is the best team ever, Oh man, that would be priceless. Especially this year when they were talking some bullshit about Seattle being a dynasty. And I'm like, whoa, okay. Need I remind you, your first cup had no shots on goal, right? Like, what fucking dynasty is set up like that? Give me a break, right? Like, that was, and it's like Toronto is in more position where it's like they could be back to back to back MLS Cup finals Mm. and they could win back to back. Like, I'm because the thing is, is like the the usually the precedent has been. Now I should say this: I know that if I'm not mistaken, 2012 LA won the league, but they struggled out of the gate because they were managing a Concacaf start to the season. Yeah, and a lot of teams have a lot of trouble. Obviously, Toronto, mm, yeah, <laughs> managing a Concacaf run with the regular season. So that's my only concern. However, but I w- would you sacrifice another MLS Cup for? Champions League Cup. Just imagine you had one of the two. Fuck, that's tough. It is a tight on it. Like I would, I take, guess I, I would take the Champions League. I I guess yeah, yeah. I would take the champion. Yeah, okay. You know what? Maybe I've, do we still make it to the finals? <laughs> would, we lose to the finals, but we get the Champions League. Okay, then maybe I'd be okay with right. that. Uh, and uh, yeah, so that's. I think that's. I guess that's what I would say. But I mean, I I really. For me, I'm kind of like, it would be really nice to be like another dominant regular season. Mm. I feel like that would be really yeah. sweet. But and, what, are the, what are the odds, though? I mean, like, that was such a beautiful run in 2017, winning all those cups. All those. Oh, know, the odds are stacked against you. I mean, that's why I'm like, that's that, why it'd be so brilliant. Was that abnormal? Like, is that unlikely to be repeated another year? Is it. Well, the league is changing, so maybe not, mm. right? But you can make a case that, you know, the season may have been a perfect storm. And, you know, you've seen teams kind of like try to be at the forefront or you know, I shouldn't say try to be at the forefront. You know, they try to cut like Jovino comes in the league and then you start seeing, oh, maybe we need to sign little guys, little right. attacking midfielders that can score goals. And you right. see, and then, and then Vasquez comes in the league and like, oh, maybe we need to get more of like a flair technical player in the league. Mm. And, you know, Valeri wins the MVP. And now everyone's like, oh, we or, and all those guys from Atlanta. Right, Almiron and whatnot. They're like, oh, and so it's a balance in terms of being like following everyone and being at the forefront. And I think Toronto for the last two years has been just a, like a step ahead. And it's it's we're fortunate that we have an organization that is has the pockets to do it right. Yeah, and hopefully we have the people that seem to be identifying the right players. Will they keep it up? I mean, we've we've I would say. We got, we've been, I don't know if I want to say lucky. I don't know how much of it 
came down to, you know, precise scouting and analysis, or if we just finally hit the right, you know what I mean? Yeah. We had Perky, Kentari, you know, uh, you know, a couple, you know, OD or Day. We had a bunch of center backs who just didn't quite cut it, and then we get Mavinga. Right. Finally. Yeah. So da 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 da. You know, you have uh, Gilberto, you know, and you have, you know, well, obviously Gilberto from the same season. And then you finally, then you try again, and then you've got the right fit. So I don't, I hope that everything keeps building on that. I will say, looking forward, if I can make one comment or statement on the club, that is still my one concern, is that two things are Toronto could become, once again, at the forefront if they're able to develop more talent. Mm-hmm. that can play at a high level and Canadian talent at right. a high level. That would be another statement that would sell me or I would buy into this, you know, being like Toronto sees the shit. Right. Um, and I don't think they, I still have concerns. I mean, TFC two are garbage. They are terrible. I, they should be playing like our first team. They should be done. When Barcelona was at their, well, they're still great, but you know, there's been points where Barcelona B could have been promoted to the yeah right yeah. that's how good they were and of course and the, you know they had this the talent that was that was backing up was just there and you know i'm not i'm not suggesting you know it's a bit naive we should be like barcelona but this is we have a so huge, that should be the aspiration. we have a soccer region that come on like mm. we know we know canada has so many kids playing soccer and the gta is teeming with talent mm. you know there should be at least a player in our academy system that is identified for all areas of the pitch yeah that we should say this guy sh- you know we should have a defender midfielder attacker and whatever that should be ready to step in mm-hmm. should we need them that should be the goal anyways i think and that's what mls isn't right now i don't think i don't think they're getting players up that fa- fast enough to be able to play at that top level yeah it seems like a lot of the teams down south in the states kind of like they do it kind of halfway you know, in terms of academy and stuff like that. And, and you know, Toronto FC, to their credit, you know, built that academy and they're they're trying to bring up players and stuff like that. Sure, they probably haven't hit it just yet. It's a little, you know, I mean, it's kind of good and bad. Um, recently, they've uh, been signing players from West Africa and bringing them in. So, you know, I mean, that's great. I mean, if they're great players and stuff like that. But to your point, I mean, surely there are some players in, you know, our region who can, uh, you know, kind of step up and, you know, be identified. Yeah, and I think for me, part of the issue, though, is also like the league changing is changing so fast. And I don't think it really knows what it wants to be. Mm. Are you a development league? Are you a buying league? Are you a selling league? And I don't think MLS has really, really gone any of those directions. So you're kind of stuck in this muddy middle of, okay, we have academies that are quite good, but we can't funnel them into the league yet because our fan base wants, expects a certain level of play, but we're not selling players. So where do these kids go? And we can't compete on the world stage for the best players in the market. So we're not really, you know, it's, there's this whole realm going on. It's like, for me, I'm like, maybe you just got to bite the bullet sometimes and and just identify a couple players here and there and get them in as much as you can. I know it might, there might be sacrifices in that realm, but I think the long-term payoff would be enormous. I I don't think MLS as a league thinks that far ahead, I think they want to be a recognized league. Yeah. Um, And, you know, they want to have expansion and they want to have 70,000 people at games like in Atlanta. Right. I mean, they want to be looked at and respected. 
I don't know if those things that we're talking about, like development and academies and all that stuff really fits into, you know, where they want to be as far as that stuff goes. It's really unfortunate, but um, you're right. Uh, you know, for the betterment of the league, uh, they probably need to take a step back and stop with this expansion because it's getting a little crazy and, um, you know, put some of that, you know, expansion money that they've already gotten into clubs in a, in a more measured, um, dedicated way in terms of, you know, bringing up youth. Yeah. I think they need to, yeah, determine what their emphasis, because right now it's just like, there's lost opportunity Yeah, and players are slipping through the cracks like a Marcos Bustos, Mm -hmm. right? Um, that's a good one. I, I can't remember his name. There's a guy at Philadelphia who really hasn't, who at one point was identified as a, as a sure thing. Um, there's a few guys here and there through the league that, you know, we hear about them as 18 or 19 and they just they don't really get that chance. Yeah. And you have to like, you have to blood those kids, you know, you have to really, you have to let them make mistakes and it has to be a place for them. And it's just, again, you know, we're going on a bit of a tangent, but I'm like, yeah, that's why leagues like Germany or leagues like England have the opportunity because they have so many, there's so many tiers of football and they're all playing at a a pretty good level and they're all Mm -hmm. professional. Mm. Whereas in the, in North America, we have MLS and we have really just USL. Right. And that's that. And you know, those kids got to get in somewhere and they got to play for, they got to play for something for real. Yeah. I think we've covered almost everything, Paul. I don't know if there's any, anything aside, any sidebars, anything I missed. No, I think we've covered it pretty well. I mean, uh, we summed up the season. We summed up the game, the final. What else? Uh, what else? If this podcast goes to plan, there'd be some other voices on there <laughs> yeah. that you would have heard as well. Yeah. Uh, as long as I get everyone lined up, I'm in the process of doing that. So this this will be a strange outro uh, with that in mind. But hopefully other people have weighed in. It's been an interesting listen uh, for the year. So, uh, yeah, let's, you know, we'll finish on that. And, Paul, uh, everyone knows where they can f- – they don't. Maybe they don't because you've been on the podcast a couple times. Where can they find you? What's going on? If uh, you're on Twitter, it's Graypaul, at Graypaul. Um, EastsideStandup.com is where the comic is. You can always reach me at Paul at EastsideStandup.com. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so looking forward to, you know, starting a new season of Tunes, you know, as the best. <laughs> it's going to be crazy. The team to beat. Holy cow. Yeah, the team to beat. And uh, everyone knows I'm uh, at Clark RNO, or you can tweet at Red Nation Online. Both those, both that gets to me. Info or have your say at rednationonline.ca. All thoughts and opinions. It's been a, hey, this was a great season too for people like writing in and stuff like that. So I hope, um, you know, I got back to everyone and there was, you know, some good back and forth. And whether you agree or disagree, I always put that out there. More than happy to hear what you have to say. It's like, you know, I'm, I don't get bent out of shape if I get told I'm wrong or whatever. And I don't think I'm right. I just, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, this is just our thoughts on the team, on the league, all those kind of things. So uh, by all means, reach out to us and let us know what you think. And uh, we'll leave it at that. So this is the end of 2017. What a year. Man, what a like, year. And uh, we're going to be doing preseason in what, three weeks? Holy shit. Well, <laughs> Maybe I'll wait a little bit till like maybe there's a game this season. I know I would say this. I probably will do a podcast. I know the draft is not as cool as it used to be, but I probably will do one around that time because I interviewed Bobby Smirniotis at Sigma and have some thoughts on the Canadian soccer landscape. So I hope you guys will check that one out when it comes out. But I would just, yeah, finish off by saying Happy New Year. What a great 2017. Paul, thanks for, for joining me. Thank you very much. And, uh, Thanks to all, all those who listened, and we'll catch you next time.
want you to get involved, reach out to us on Twitter at Red Nation Online or by email at info or have your say at rednationonline.ca. Get in touch with us. Let us know how you thought the team did. Agree, disagree, it doesn't matter. Also, check out our other podcasts on Red Nation Online from The Black Hole, Ours is the Fury, in our interview series. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you guys next time. They don't understand you.